Father God, we declare you as an everlasting God who never gives up on us, never runs out on us, that does not faint, that doesn't grow weary, defends the weak, heals the brokenhearted, heals the broken-bodied, heals the broken-minded, that lifts up his people. God, this morning we declare who you are. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Do feel free to take your seats. It's so good to be back in church. Um, we have, we've genuinely, we missed it. Um, we were so gutted not to be here last Sunday, particularly as, as Hannah Williamson was here. Hannah's a great friend of, of ours, more, more so Hannah, but um, I've heard she was fantastic. Um, and I heard she had a great morning. She actually, she was really complimentary about you as well, which is nice. Thanks, Jane. But she really, she's really, really complimentary about you as a church, about the welcome, about the way you just were with her, even in kind of the, the last minute. And so what happened was um, we, were driving, we were driving away on our holiday, and we got as far as Bath, and the phone rings. And it's Tim Robertson, and we're thinking, oh, no. Um, and Tim sounds rough. And, I, and when I mean rough, I mean rough like a dog rough. Um, and he says, I'm really sorry, I've got covid um, and Tim was here to preach Sunday, so we spent that journey. I don't know what you've ever tried to be, get a phone signal between Bath and anywhere um, in, in the southwest of England. We're trying to work out who can we get with five days' notice to come and speak on Sunday. But thankfully, Hannah came, and she was brilliant, and we're really grateful to her. But we're in what we've, we've, we're in now week three of our Pentecost series, and we've titled the series Church on a Mission, because we believe actually this is the start of what we feel is our mission month as we start to gear up towards our fun day in July. And can I say, we've come back from an incredible week. We do feel refreshed. We feel fired up. We feel ready to go. Um, but I want to let you into a little secret because normally I'm a bit more organized than I have been. And, and some of it I blame on being away. But normally by Thursday night, my message is done. It's written. It, it's prepared. And it's all ready to go. Um, at half past three Friday, I was still writing. Because God was still dropping stuff into me and still dropping stuff into my heart. And I'll let you, let you into another secret. Normally, I do this, and this is kind of a preacher's secret. Normally, my notes are word for word. They're genuinely, everything I say is, is pretty much word for word. Just because I have this inbuilt kind of fear that I'm going to forget what I'm going to say. And I've got that, and it's just something in me. And I write everything down because I want to make sure I get the right phrases and the, the right way I want to say things. Now, normally, I know six pages of A4 half an hour. That, that's, I know, because I, I, know, I know my cadence, I know my normal speed, I know that kind of works. Church today, I've got 12. <laughs> so we're in for a bit of fun. But I'm, I'm going to try and get everything uh, into the next 30 minutes just as we look at the birth of the church. And, and I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, would you uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16, but when you get there, stick your thumb in it and then turn to Acts chapter 1. Because we're going to be bouncing between those two passages and then moving forward. And, and well done, those who do have Bibles, you are truly saved. Um, and I just want to encourage you, I just felt really challenged about this over, over the weekend. Can I just encourage you, whether you bring one physically, whether you bring one on a tablet, um, however you do one, can I, can I just encourage you to bring a Bible? 
to bring a Bible to church. You know, if you haven't got a Bible, we'll give you one. We've got Bibles. We were happy to give you one. It's our gift to you because we want to put the Word of God in your hands. You know, it says in the Bible, the Jews uh, had a saying, or God said to the Jews, you know, write this on your doorposts. Write this on your gates. Tie it to your hands. Tie it to your head because there was such a passion for the Word of God. They wanted it to be close to them. And what the Jews would do is they'd have these little tiny boxes. Uh, they're called phylacteries. And they would have them and they would put them on their head and on their arm. And inside those boxes were minuscule scrolls containing the law of Moses. Now, you can't read them. It's too small. But it was, it was a symbolic thing of having the Word of God close to them. And I want to encourage you, just as we move forward, can you bring your Bibles to church? That we've got the Word of God close to us. It just really helps us as, as we're looking into it. And I was thinking about this, you know, you wouldn't go to play tennis without a racket. You wouldn't go swimming without your trunks. Well, some of you might. But, but come on, let, let's make it a discipline. Do you know what? Our Bible is an essential item when we're leaving for church in the morning. Keys, wallet, phone, Bible. And have that kind of have that kind of routine. Is that all right? Sorry, I know that's getting a bit strong, but I just want to make sure this is right. Acts one. Um, Luke begins Acts. If you read Acts one, Luke begins his his work, um, his his kind of narrative of the early church, and he, he starts his with this line because he harks back to a previous book, which we know as the Gospel of Luke, and he says this: "In my first book." I told you, O Theophilus, Theophilus is his kind of sponsor, the guy he's writing to. He says, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. A really important word there, Jesus began to do it. Now, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's ascended to heaven. Now, what's that telling me? Jesus did miracles Jesus did incredible things. He healed people. He was crucified. He, he was resurrected. He ascended to heaven, but he's still not finished. It's everything began, everything Jesus began to do. His physical presence on, on earth was actually just the beginning, and there is more to do. Jesus says to his disciples, you will do the same things I've done. Actually, you'll do even greater works. Paul says it in one of his letters, you know what? God began a good work in us. And if God began it, he will finish it. He'll continue until the day it's finished when Christ comes back. Church, we are not finished until Christ comes back. The work is never finished until God says it's done. And Jesus says this to his disciples, you'll receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Newbridge, throughout Caerphilly, in Torvine, in Cardiff, in Paris, in Blyneigrent, to the ends of the earth. That includes Newport. We'll be his witnesses. Now, then, now notice, the, the, notice the language there. It's not you might be or you might choose to be. Or you might do if you fancy it. You will be my witnesses. And we'll get into that in a moment, into, into the day of, of Pentecost and, and how the, in, when we get the day of Pentecost, the church actually exploded into life and exploded into mission. And I want to take a few moments today to, to look at Pentecost and use it as kind of a marker uh, to, to look at a journey that someone in the Bible takes around this, this idea of mission. So if you've still got your Bibles open, go and find Matthew 16. So in Matthew 16, we get this conversation between the disciples and Jesus. And Jesus is looking around. They're in, um, I think it's Caesarea Philippi, and they're in this town. 
And Jesus looks around and he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples go, oh, well, people say you're John the Baptist, or people say you're Elijah, or they say you're, you're Jeremiah, or maybe you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus kind of goes, okay, okay, okay. Who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? And it's Peter that answers, and he says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you're blessed. God's revealed this to you. No one had to convince you about this. No one had to teach you about it. And he uses this phrase. It says about, you know, Peter, your name means rock. And on this rock, I'll build my faith. And some, some of us think that it means he's going to build his church on Peter. That's not true. It's not true. Peter never, ever led a church. If you look through the history of the early church, Peter never led a church. Ch Jesus did not build his church on Peter. He built his church on the rock of Peter's confession. It was the confession of Peter. That's what Jesus built his church on. And I just want to say, I think for us, I think for me, just as I've been praying about this and kind of stirring this in my heart over this last week or two, I think mission starts with confession. I think mission starts with a posture, a posture of confession where we say, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was the Son of God. I believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe he was crucified. I believe he died. I believe he rose again, and I believe he is seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe. And that, for me, I think is the beginning of mission that when we have a posture of confession, and I'll explain that as we go through, but the problem is that Peter's got this thing, you're the Christ, you are Jesus, you are Lord, and, and then Jesus gets arrested. If you know the Gospels, Jesus gets arrested, and Peter finds himself in the courtyard of the high priest, and, and Jesus is in, inside the house, and, and, and outside there's this, kind of, there's this trial going on inside the house. Outside are just some people, and they just lit a fire. And it says this, Luke 22, it says, they arrested him, that's Jesus. They led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And what did Peter do? Peter joined them. Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and says, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not. I love the way the NLT makes Peter Jamaican. I love it. No, man. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. And Peter said again in his best Jamaican, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter. The first man ever to confess that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. The man who actually said, if you go back in, in time, the man who said he would die with Jesus. The man who cut off a soldier's ear to protect Jesus now has a golden opportunity to demonstrate a posture of confession. He's now got an opportunity to demonstrate a posture of, of confession saying, I'm going to proclaim Jesus. Instead, if you look at the text, he can't even say his name. I don't know him. I don't know who or what you are talking about. And Peter adopts a different posture. And I want to suggest 
The posture can either reflect our surroundings or it can influence them. Our posture can either reflect the surroundings we, 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 we are in or it can change the surroundings we're in. And I really believe that our posture can either tell the story of where we are or it can tell the story of where we want to go. It can tell the story of what's to come. And what happens is that Peter, rather than adopt a posture of profession, he chooses a posture of preservation. That to save his own skin, he can't even say Jesus' name. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And I want to say, church, if we want to be on mission, excuse me, if we want to be on mission, we need to get our posture right. We need to get our posture right. It's a posture where we say, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the risen king. I believe he heals. I believe he sets free. I believe he revives. I believe he restores. I believe he rebuilds. I believe he heals broken hearts. He heals broken minds. He heals broken bodies. I believe he rescued me. I believe he empowers me. I believe he equips me. I believe he enlightens me. I believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe. Church, do we believe this morning? Five people believe. Fantastic. We are on mission. Who believes this morning? I want to be a little strong, if I can. And I chatted this through. We kind of do this uh, (laughs) pillow talk on a Saturday night where I just go, Hannah, I think I should say this. And Hannah goes, don't you dare say that. (laughs) But I've had this little thought this week that I haven't been able to get away from. And I want to be a bit cheeky. And I feel I need to say this. And I apologize if this offends you. But there's part of me that thinks if this offends you, then you need to hear it. Um, but as I, as I read this passage about Peter, I, I just couldn't help. I'm not picking on anyone in the room. <laughs> just, let me just start there. I'm not picking on anyone in the room. But I read this. I felt that the God just say to me, there's too many Christians who've been too busy warming their backsides against someone else's fire. There's too many Christians who've been warming their backsides against someone else's fire. Now, Peter walks up to this fire. It's not his fire. It's been lit by people. Actually, they don't care about Jesus. They're pretty ambivalent. They're not bothered if he lives or he dies. And Peter goes and warms himself by this fire. Now, Peter's got his own fire to carry. But he chooses to warm himself by their fire. It's a fire of ambivalence. And I want to suggest that maybe you're here and actually for a long time you've just been warming yourself by a fire of ambivalence. Maybe it's a fire of convenience. Maybe it's a fire of comfort. Maybe it's a fire of complacency. Maybe it's a fire of tradition or a fire of nostalgia. And, and your posture is simply one where you've stopped carrying your own fire and you've started warming your backside against someone else's fire. And Jesus said, you're not here to keep your backside warm. You're here to set this place on fire. I am not here to stay warm. You know, there's a passage in the the life of Samson. He ties these two foxes' tails together. He sets them alight. What does he do? He sends them into the field. What do they do? They set the field on fire. Church, that's what we're here to do. That there's a fire God's birth within us. That we're not here just to keep warm on someone else's fire. That actually we go and set fire to places. We carry the fire. And it starts with our posture, that posture of confession. 
Now, thankfully for Peter, this isn't where his story ends. He, he goes through this process, and, and he has this incredible encounter with Jesus. But if we move on to the day of Pentecost, and I want to say as well, Pentecost isn't a Christian festival, by the way. We've adopted it, but it wasn't a Christian festival. It was a Jewish holiday, and it's the day that comes 50 days after the Passover. So 50 days after God gave the look, after, after the, the Israelites moved out of Egypt, 50 days later, God gives them the law. That's the day of Passover. And that's the day that this happens in Acts 2. We've read it already this morning. It says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And I won't read the whole passage but what happens is the people around them, they, they hear this sound, they hear this, this commotion, they hear the noise, and they come running to see what's happening. And you, you can look at this in your own time, because it's interesting, there's three reactions in the crowd. Some of them are, are amazed. They're going, wow, look at this. Some of them are a little bit confused. And there are others who just ridicule what's going on. And how true of life is that? That even I'm convinced on when we do our fun day, when we move into the field, there will be people who walk onto that field and they will go, wow. There will also be people who walk into that field and go, what's this? There will also be people who walk into that field and go, that's okay. That's okay. And in this text, it says that people say, oh, yeah, they're drunk. It's too much wine, this festival. They just, they just had a bit too much to drink. And I love this because after all that went on around the fireplace, after Peter wasted an opportunity to step forward at that fireplace, now on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit moves in his life and it says this, then Peter stepped forward. Posture. Peter stepped forward. Forward. He stepped forward into his calling. He stepped forward into mission. He stepped forward into what God had given him. And Peter begins to preach. He preaches the first sermon recorded in Acts. He shares what God's done. He shares who Jesus is. And look at what he says. Let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Matthew 15. You are the Messiah. The Son of of God. It's Peter's confession. He's come full circle, and, and Peter adopts this posture of confession. And what happens? 3,000 people are saved, and the church explodes into life. But this is what I find fascinating. That didn't happen straight after the Holy Spirit came. It, af it happened after Jesus confessed who Jesus was. The salvation came after confession. And I want to say, church, our posture can very, very easily reflect what is around us, or we can take our posture, a posture of confession, a posture of, of profession, and we can change the world around us. We can make a difference. So I want to say the mission, first of all, is a posture. But look what it says about Peter. It says he stepped forward. Now, he steps forward with the eleven. Now, Peter's leading out here, but what's fascinating, he's not doing it alone. Previously, they'd been having these debates. Jesus, who's, who's the greatest disciple? Who's going to be sat at your right hand? Jesus, what about that one? You know, when we go to heaven, what are you going to do with him? There's all this kind of bickering going on amongst the disciples. And here we say this, Peter stepped forward with the 11. They're doing it together. 
Because I realize that when we do mission, we do not go all Lone Ranger. We do it in partnership. Mission happens in partnership. And it's, it's fascinating when you, when you read those first two chapters of Acts, Luke makes it really, really clear this is a partnership. This is not a solo project. This is community coming together to make a difference. He says this, they met together. They were united in prayer. They met in one place. They weren't going off into little huddles and having their own little committee meetings. They met together in one place. They were devoted to fellowship. They worshipped together. Everything they did, they did in community. They realized if they were going to be a missional people, they had to do it together. Everyone pulling their weight, everyone doing their bit, and they understood this. There's no you in mission. There's no you do that in mission, but there are two eyes. It's I and I coming together to make a difference. So when we come together as house groups this Tuesday, we are actually uniting. We're bringing our gifts, bringing our experience, bringing our knowledge, bringing our ideas. We're bringing our eyes and our eyes and our eyes and our eyes. And we're coming to a place where, where everyone has a place, everyone has a part to play, uh, and we need people to welcome. We need people to make tea. We need security people. We need people to run our children's and our youth spaces. We need people to help put up tents. We need people to hate, take put down tents. We need people to make sure the field is clean and safe for people to use. We need people to pray. We've asked people to do prayer walks during the day just to walk around the site, praying over the site. We need people to pray for other people. I, I believe with all my heart that there are going to be people who are going to come to us on that afternoon and say, do you know, would you pray for me? I've never come to this church. I don't even know where your church is, but, but would you pray for me? And we need people to pray. We need people who are going to be there to stand in the gap for people. I'm believing we'll see breakthroughs. I really am. I'm, I'm believing, can I say this? I'm believing for healings on that field. That people will be healed and set free from things. We need people to help us unload and unload vans. We need people to direct traffic. We need people just to sit down and smile. If you can't sit down and smile at someone... Everyone's got a part. Everyone's got a part to play. There's no you in mission. It's I and I and I and I and I coming together to play our part and make a difference. Mission's posture. Mission is in partnership. Mission's always in the peripheral. <laughs> now, I want to be careful here because often when we use the word peripheral, we kind of mean, you know, it's not important, something that's not the main thing. But actually... That's not what peripheral really means. If you look at the definition of peripheral, it means when something is on the edge. When something is on the edge of something. So us, we might say, you know, this as a church, our building, this is our central base. But, but our focus actually should always be on the periphery. Should always be on the edge of our space, the houses and the streets around us. You know, we said this before, we are the church, but we exist for the world. William Temple, who was once the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he said this, the church is the only society that, that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. We're the only group of people in the world who exist for people who aren't even with us. Do you know that's why it's called outreach, not inreach? Because we're reaching out. That's why we're putting church in the open air, in a big field, 
in the middle of the town saying, okay, we are here in our periphery. We're on the edges of our space, but we're going into someone else's space. And we're going to say, here we are. Here we are. We are reaching out into our community. And it is fascinating. If you've got your Bible still, you skip forward to Acts 3. You get Peter and John. Uh, they're going. It's really, really interesting. This. Where are they going? They're going to the temple. And I find that fascinating, and sometimes we can miss this. They're going to the temple. The church has been born. The church is alive, and it's flourishing, and, it, and it's thriving, and it's moving, and 3,000 people are being saved. Peter and John, they're not even going to their own meeting. They're going somewhere else. They're going somewhere else totally. They'll probably go to their gathering later in the day, or maybe they've already had this, but they're going somewhere else. They are going into their periphery. And on the edge of the temple, on the, on the periphery of the temple, there's a man sat there. And if you read the story, you, you'll read that the man, he's healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and if you read the text, it's really interesting. Peter says this, how's, how's the man healed? In the name of... Thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What's Peter doing? Again, he's adopting a posture of confession. In the name of Jesus, do this. He's speaking Jesus into the situation. And I love this because the man, he's healed and he jumps up and he starts, you know, walking and leaping and praising God. But I want us to spot this. The first recorded miracle after Pentecost doesn't happen in church. It happens outside. It happens outside the walls, it actually happens on the periphery. And interestingly, Peter doesn't say, you want to be healed, go to church. You want to be set free, go to church. He didn't tell him that healings only happen on a Sunday morning between half past 10 and 12 o'clock. This man is instantly healed on the streets, outside the temple, because, because Peter chose to speak the name of Jesus over him. It's a posture of confession. Can I encourage us that we start speaking Jesus over that field? Even now, I know a few people while we were away, we had a text saying that a few people, they'd, they'd taken themselves down to the field already, and they've walked that field, and they've spoken the name of Jesus over that field. And I want us to keep doing that because I'm convinced that when we do that, the people we come to contact with, we'll see miracles. We'll see healings. And, and, and that's fascinating because there's, there's a journey here because what happens after the healing, that's when they take him into the temple. They take him in after the healing. And I want to suggest that the, the mission doesn't stop on the outside. That actually part of the process of mission is to bring people in. And it says that once the man's healed, they, they bring him in and then they stay with him. They don't just leave him. The text says that actually he's holding tightly to them, this, this man isn't letting them go. And, and church, a part of mission is actually we stay with the people we're trying to reach. Mission's a posture. It's done in the periphery. But I want to suggest it's perpetual. It doesn't stop. Mission is ongoing. It doesn't, mission doesn't end at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon on the 3rd of July. It doesn't end when someone's been healed. It doesn't end when a miracle has happened. I, I'd go as far as saying that mission only ends when discipleship begins. That's when mission ends. For that person, your mission ends when their discipleship journey begins. And for this man, Peter and John, 
They're still on mission, still on mission, still on mission, staying with him, bringing this through. And if you read the story through, Peter and John, they get arrested. They get taken off uh, to prison. The next morning, they're brought to trial. And it's brilliant because there's the man again. He's had such an impact on them that he comes to the trial. He hasn't just gone off into the distance. And I love what the religious leaders say. It says they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. That 50 days before, Peter had tried to step back, blend in. No, 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 I, I don't know him. No, 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 I, I, I don't know who you're talking about. 50 days later, it says they are amazed by the boldness of Peter and John. They could see they're no ordinary men with no special training. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now, that's actually meant in the derogatory. It's meant that they recognized them as Jesus' disciples. But you know what? I don't know about you. The greatest thing someone could say about me is that they recognized me as someone who'd been with Jesus. A church, in four weeks' time, can we believe there'll be people on that field who walk onto that field and they say one thing about us. They say, wow, these are people who've been with Jesus. These are people who have met with Jesus. And if you read the, the rest of the story, I, I won't unpack it anymore because I want to give us some time. Acts chapter 4, Peter launches into another message and he's constantly proclaiming profession, confessing Jesus because that is always the starting point. Mission begins with profession by having that posture of confession. And I want to invite the band back up, and we're going to take communion together. And I want, us to do it, I want us to do this as an act of response this morning, because actually we're all on mission. It would be really easy for me to say, you know what, if you feel like you want to be on mission, stand up. Well, that's not, not what Jesus said. Jesus said you are on mission. We're all on mission. If you're sat here and Jesus has saved you, then you're on mission. And mission begins with a posture of confession. Paul says this about communion, that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this wine, you are doing what? You are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. You're, you're proclaiming his death, his resurrection. You're proclaiming the death that gave us life. You're proclaiming the Savior who conquered sin and death and rose from the grave. You're proclaiming the one who gave us everlasting life. You're proclaiming his grace, proclaiming his goodness, proclaiming his mercy, proclaiming that he set us free, proclaiming that he died so we could give life to the full. So I want to encourage you to, to grab your, your cup. And you can do this in your own time this morning. I'm not going to lead you as to when to have the bread or have the wine. But I just want you to do it as a symbol of confession. That as you take this bread, you are confessing, I believe. I believe. Jesus, we believe in you. We believe you are the Son of God. We believe you died and rose again. We believe you gave your life to set us free. We confess you as Lord. Lord.